We've turned the page to November in the last couple of days, and I wonder what that means for you. Probably it means busy, and hopefully busy with good things and lots of opportunity for you to touch the lives of people. For me, uh, November took on new meaning this week as I received a picture thank you card that I'd like you to see on the screen. Fifty years ago, this month of November, 1964, the Congo was very similar to what it is today. Great turmoil and infighting. Nineteen missionaries, six of them children from one organization, were caught in the crossfire and died. One of those families had two, teenage, two teenagers here in the United States studying and living with family because there was no English language education for them in the Congo. So they received word that their parents and their younger siblings had been killed in the rebellion. That means they're now in their 60s. Some time ago, they had the opportunity, along with some others, to go back to the Congo and visit the place and meet some of the people who knew the story. I understand that they were well-received by leaders of the communities, business people, healthcare workers who expressed to them, thank you. Now, this particular picture is of some of the church leaders who gathered together to celebrate what God has done in the last 50 years in that place. You see, after things settled down, missionaries did go back, and humanitarian organizations came in. Schools were built and teachers trained. Clinics were started and healthcare workers trained. Churches were started and pastors trained. And while it's still a country in great turmoil, they wanted to send thank you particularly to the American church for not giving up on the Congo 50 years ago. They wanted us to know that because we were willing to keep loving in the name of Jesus, keep caring, keep helping, it's a very different place today than it would have been had we said, okay, forget it. November for me will probably always be the month that I remember my dear friend, Pastor Simon Serralus, who has been in this church several times, was abducted in his home in Port-au-Prince, you may remember, in Haiti one year ago, and killed that night. And this is a picture of he and his wife, Marguerite. Marguerite is back in Haiti now, somewhat in hiding, fearful for her own life, and their three children are here in the United States studying his son in Bible college wanting to follow in his father's footsteps. So what will November be like for you? A scripture has come to my mind and my heart this week that I'd like you to see on the screen. From heaven the Lord looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches. As you look at that on the screen, may I ask you, what do you think God is seeing this November? As his eyes roam to and fro throughout the whole earth, what is God seeing in Asia, in Africa, in the Middle East, in North America? But maybe the bigger question is, what do you think God would like to see in the next 60 days? It's going to be Thanksgiving time, and then it's going to be Christmas time, and then the New Year. What do you suppose God would like to see happen all across our world? And what part do you think he would like you and me to have in that? Our theme verses, would you look at those for a moment and ponder them? The verse on the left is so true that there is this spiritual battle raging everywhere, including right here in Walworth County, because the thief, the devil, has come to steal and kill and destroy. But the Lord Jesus keeps inviting, I've come that you may have life to the full. 
And you see God calling to adults like you and me saying, please choose wisely because every choice you make every day affects your children and your grandchildren. What do you think the next 60 days might be as related to those verses? Then as we began the fall together, I gave you another verse in John chapter 15 where the Lord Jesus, perhaps standing at a little vineyard the night before he went to the cross, said to his close friends, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Remain in me, stay connected to me. Because as you do, you will bear fruit as you go on living after I'm gone from you. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. So the last several weeks, I've been inviting you into God's Word with me to see what was happening in the lives of those men who heard him speak that night, who were his closest friends. Because last week, you may remember, we saw in Mark chapter 1 that Jesus, walking along the beach, had said to four fishermen as they were cleaning their nets, leave your nets, come and follow me. I'd like to change you. I'd like to change how you think, to think like God thinks. I'd like to change your heart to feel like God feels. I'd like to reshape you into becoming fishers of men. They did leave their nets. And they followed him. And you may remember we saw last week that in a period of about 48 hours, in Mark chapter 1, if you'd like to turn there with me again, that Jesus took them to Capernaum. And there you may remember, he took them into the synagogue and they learned, if you're going to be living as a God-sent person, remember I gave you that phrase, that God's called you and me, if you've trusted Jesus to be your Savior, to see yourself as a God-sent person every day, in every conversation, in every relationship, no matter where you are. So, how does that happen? Jesus showed them the first thing is prioritize worship. Yes, worship like this, where we gather together with a large number of other folks who want to love Jesus and honor Him and learn of Him, and we sing for His praise, and we pray, and we open His Word, and we ask Him to teach us. But do it also privately, in your private worship time. And then we saw last week, Jesus modeled for them, you got to immerse yourself in my truth because truth will push back the darkness. You remember we saw that Jesus cast a demon out of a man by the power of who he was in his truth. And then you remember last week we saw that Jesus said, now you got to let my love fill you so that it can flow out of you, God's compassion into our broken world, as they went to Peter's home and his mother-in-law was sick, you remember, and Jesus raised her up. Then many people were brought to the home, and Jesus continued to meet needs, and we saw that needs bring people to Jesus. Then we saw last week a fourth thing, and that was that Jesus got up real early in the morning and went out to meet with his father. And he was teaching them, you got to make sure you have time regularly for solitude, you and God, to listen to what he wants to say to you about your life uniquely because you want to live your life for his purpose, not yours. From that experience, you'll see now in Mark chapter 1, verse 40, they continued with him, and it says, A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, If you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, I don't know exactly where that happened or how it happened, but I want to suggest to you that no leper would be walking around in the town of Capernaum. So I put this stool here, and if you'd permit me, let's join with Jesus perhaps sitting on the hillside, looking out over the Sea of Galilee, and the four guys, Peter and Andrew and James and John, are sitting with him. And they're talking about life and how to be a fisher of men. 
And, and they see a person coming along way down there, and they hear a bell ringing, and they know he must be a leper. He's ringing the bell and saying unclean so nobody would come close enough to him because it's so contagious. And one of them says to Jesus, you see that guy down there, don't you? Yep. He's coming toward us. Yep. Tell him to stay away. Why? What do you mean, why? Now, of course, that's not in the text. But I'm putting myself on the hillside, and that's what I would be asking. Well, because he's a leper and I'm not. Don't let him get close. But he didn't. Jesus, do something. And I can imagine I would have been sitting there. I'd have backed up a little bit. And it says here that the man came and knelt right in front of Jesus. If you're willing, you can make me clean. How did he know about Jesus? My guess is he had never, ever seen him before. He would never be close to any crowds that were around Jesus. Somebody must have told him about this amazing man who heals people. And somebody must have told him he's nearby. He's within walking distance. Of course, you're not going to go anywhere near him, but, but he's nearby. But this man was desperate. The same story is in Matthew's account and Luke's account. Luke, being a physician, doesn't use the same words for leper that Matthew and Mark uses. He uses different words. That's why I've quoted him there in your notes for you. He uses the word for leprosy that says it was an advanced case of leprosy, a terminal advanced case. What that means, as you may know with leprosy, appendages, fingers, toes, ears, noses, circulation slows down so that that part of your body begins to decay and actually starts to fall off. So uh, an advanced case of leprosy may not have many fingers left or toes. Parts of ears might be missing or part of a nose. Can you imagine that as this person got closer, the, the men began to scrunch up their face, say, oh, please don't come any closer. But he was desperate. He was dying and he knew it. And he knew he couldn't fix it. And as far as he knew, there was only one person who could, and that was God. And this man somehow represented God and was healing people. Now, here's what I want to ask you. In the next 60 days, do you suppose you may have an encounter with a leper? Oh, probably won't look like a leper. But, but as you see in your notes, I've given you three examples of people that we might want to consider modern-day lepers in a different way. Might you encounter a person who feels as though they are too broken, that as they reflect on their past, so much brokenness that they've come to the place in their mind where they have concluded, God has given up on me. Even God can't help me. Even God doesn't care. You remember what Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Do you remember that when Paul is writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 to 17, he says, I remember my past. I was a violent, blaspheming man, the worst of all sinners, but he has saved me. Do you remember, my friends, the angel said to Mary, nothing is impossible with God. May I suggest that if you meet a leper in the next 60 days, that as you listen to the words that they're saying, they're giving up on themselves because life is just too broken. Speak hope to them and point them to Jesus. Could it be that you have an encounter with a person who has been pushing God away for so long, they're at the place now that they're convinced God would never respond to my call if I asked him because I've told him no so many times. You remember the thief on the cross? With almost his last breath, 
Remember me. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. It's never too late, right? God never gives up on a person. Or maybe you'll encounter a person who would say, Jesus won't care about me. God doesn't love me. I don't even love me. In fact, I hate me. You know anybody like that? And they, they actually engage in self-destructive behavior. They drink way too much hoping that maybe they won't wake up tomorrow morning. They cut themselves. What does Jesus say about that? Do you remember the prodigal son story? Where in his deep desperation he said, my, my dad will never accept me back as a son, but maybe he'd be willing to take me back as a slave. And as he's going back toward his dad, ready to humble himself, he can't believe what he sees, for here's his daddy running down the road toward him and embracing him. If you hear somebody using the words that says they've long ago given up on themselves, they hate themselves, speak God's love into their life. You see, those kinds of thoughts, those don't come from God. One of the names for the devil is the accuser. So when a person is thinking this way, it's the work of the dark kingdom in this person's heart and mind. And may I urge you, you speak hope and truth into that. You remember, Jesus had said, if you, if you hold to my teachings, my truth will set you free from that wrong thinking. John chapter 8. You remember also that in Romans chapter 8, nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, right? Friends, I want to urge you to recognize that in the next 60 days, while on the one hand, there's a great deal of frivolity and office parties and all kinds of things, the truth is, if you'll listen, there's a lot of people just hanging on by their fingernails because life is so painful. Am I right? Would you see yourself as a God-sent person whom God would like to use to speak hope into the lives of the lepers that you're going to encounter. It says that the man came and he begged him on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean. If you're willing. Do you suppose that there could be any situation where God would say, I'm not willing? Do you remember what it says in 2 Peter 3.9? God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. If you're willing, you can make me clean. Again, I say, as far as I know, he'd never seen or met Jesus, but he'd heard the stories. And down deep inside of himself, he was convinced this leprosy that's killing me is not too much for Jesus. When he unleashes the power of God in me, he can make me clean. Do you believe that? About you. About your family. Uh, about your coworkers, do you believe that about the lepers that you know? Every one of us knows some lepers. We probably don't spend very much time with them. Uh, they discourage us when we listen to them talk because they live in this dark place. But would you please own the fact, my friends, that you might be the one that Jesus has put in their dark place to speak hope to them. If you're willing, you can make the leper realized there was absolutely nothing he could do to help himself. Tomorrow morning when he wakes up, he's sicker than he is today. Tomorrow morning when he wakes up and he looks at his hands, more of his fingers might have fallen off in the night. I can't fix it, God. Only you, please. 
For it's by grace you are saved. Not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Do you see that? Now the four guys sitting there with Jesus, can you imagine what they're thinking? They're probably not saying it, but they're thinking, Jesus, do something. Get this guy out of here. He's creepy. I don't like looking at him, but I, I wonder if one of the fishermen are looking closely at him, and I wonder if Jesus said, what's your name? Where are you from? And I wonder if the man pulled the hood back just a little bit because they always covered themselves over because they were so ashamed of how they looked, and they looked at the fishermen. I wonder if one of them looked right at Peter. He said, you don't recognize me, do you? No. My name is whatever you would give him. I'm a fisherman. You and I occasionally fished on the same boat, Peter, years ago. Can you imagine if that were to happen and Peter looking closely? And it says here, Jesus reached out and touched the man. That's unthinkable. To touch a, a leper would be a death sentence. It's like going in to work with an Ebola patient with no covering whatsoever. Can you imagine the fellow saying, what are you doing? I wonder if Jesus said, don't ever forget this. I, I need you to touch people with the love of Jesus, especially those people who view themselves as untouchable. Get close enough to touch them. And it says here, and this dear woman knows it, praise God for Susan, I'm willing, be clean. And immediately, Mark says, immediately, do you see what it says? Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. I believe that means more than just the white scales fell off of him. I believe it means that whatever appendages might have been eaten back grew back out again. But I believe even more than that, what it means is down deep inside his heart, his soul was cleansed. God had reached inside of him and an awakened hope. He was a changed man. And it changed the four guys sitting on the hillside. They would never forget it. Jesus said, go and show yourself to the priests. According to Leviticus, that would be the way that he would be declared healed when the priest saw him and declared him so. So he gets up. I wonder if he gave Jesus a big hug. I wonder if he said, Peter, I'll see you back on the boat. <laughs> Peter, oh, maybe. But as he walked down the hillside, I wonder if Jesus said, now, fellas, look at that. He doesn't have the hood covering over him anymore. He's got it back. He's restored to life again. Remember what you saw just a few minutes ago when he was coming toward us. The power of God has been unleashed in him and he's a different man. Don't ever forget that because for the rest of your lives, live as God sent people bringing the hope of Jesus to every person you meet. Hmm? So, Start with your family now. Is there a leper in your family, your extended family? How about your coworkers? Any lepers in your coworkers? People who feel that they are so broken, God wouldn't want to help them. They're in such this deep, dark place, people just kind of stay away from them. Might you be the one that helps them know Jesus 
in the next 60 days. And they are cleansed, restored, changed. And for the rest of their lives, say thank you to you from time to time. It says there in the next verse, chapter 1 or verse 2, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he'd come and they gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. What it means is that Jesus came to Capernaum and went into somebody's home. We don't know who. Don't have any idea how big it was. But whenever Jesus came to town, the word spread quickly and the house filled up very quickly. And outside the house, people hanging in the windows and the door so you couldn't get close to the house. And you see it says, verse 3, some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Now, what's the difference and the similarities between the leper and the paralyzed man? Both of them are sick and can't fix the problem. One of them, nobody wants to come anywhere close to him, so he has to come to Jesus by himself, and fortunately, somebody told him about Jesus and pointed the way. The other has four friends. He can't move. He couldn't come to Jesus even if he wanted to. He needs some help. That's part of why life groups and small groups are so important at Calvary, because you and I will find ourselves in a place like that sometime. So his four friends come, and they carry him to Jesus. You ever been in that situation? You needed help, and you needed somebody else to help you get the help you needed. And you found somebody, and weren't you grateful? But you remember, you might have had to have made several phone calls because even some of your friends might have said, I don't have time, maybe in a week or two. It's really not convenient right now. Can you put yourself in the story? Can you see how overwhelmingly grateful he is that there are four friends willing to inconvenience themselves to help him and bring him to Jesus? Paralyzed man. You see, I've got three examples for you there in your notes. Do you know anybody who's paralyzed by fear? They can't make a decision. They can't go forward. They're so afraid of the unknown or the future, they're paralyzed by fear. What's God's answer to that? Perfect love casts out fear, remember? 1 John uh, chapter 4. Do you know anybody who's paralyzed by failure? They think back in their lives and all they can remember is over and over and over again. Failure, failure, failure in their work life, in their relationships. And that's why they're paralyzed. They, can't, they don't want anyone to think about going forward. It'll only be more failure. What's God's answer to that? Romans chapter 8, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? You don't have to live in your failure. You know anybody, my friends, who's paralyzed by the darkness? Discouragement, despair, defeat, lies, shame, guilt. It just weighs so heavy on them. They don't even want to wake up tomorrow morning. What's God's answer to that? Follow me, Jesus said, and you won't walk in the darkness. Do you know any paralyzed people? Really now, of course you do. And in the next 60 days sometime, could it be that God is going to give you and me the opportunity to speak hope into paralyzed folks' lives? Like, like how about this that I have written for you there? Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and may I say paralyzed. I'll give you rest. I'll help you. But the paralyzed person says, but 
Jesus, I, I need somebody to help me get to you. I just don't have it left in me. Can Jesus answer by saying your name? I'm glad you see your need. I have a friend. Somebody who knows me and loves me. Someone who I love. Somebody who's ready to come and step into your life journey and help you. Honestly now, you know any paralyzed folks? You know anyone paralyzed with grief? Paralyzed with shame? What does it look like when we respond to the needs of those who can't help themselves? You might have noticed that in your worship folder, we have a little place that we call Living Under the Shadow of the Cross. And we put there every week the names of people who've gone out from us to care for other people who need help. One of those is a fairly new family to our church, Dr. Tom Bouvi, and he is this weekend in South Sudan. Why? He's an ear, nose, and throat specialist, and watch this video clip that talks about what he's doing there. Sherry, thank you. In many developing countries, children with birth defects are considered cursed, and often the family is encouraged to let the child die. Physical deformities in children is a very difficult thing for the entire family, especially the mom and the child. They're rejected in many ways. They're usually not allowed to go to school. People don't want to marry them. They can't get a job. So it, it really affects their, their life. When we get an opportunity like this to close the problem, you can really reach right into their heart and explain to them that this is not a child who is abandoned by God, but he's here so that we can work together to make this a very, very, very beautiful child with a beautiful smile. Samaritan's Purse is here in South Sudan to do cleft lip repairs. And we have 41 patients here this week that have come for surgical repair. Our patients are from all over South Sudan, uh, many from areas that don't have access to get to Juba. There's no road access, so we decided to pick these patients up and charter flights to get them here. It could never be done without Samaritan's Purse, which takes the patients and is able to transport them here so that they can have the operation to transport them home. These are people that society views as maimed and outcast and rejected and they were standing there with little name tags on with their destination and their name. I collected them all and they were so excited. And one woman was working barefoot across the parking lot. She'd never been to Juba. She'd never seen anything like this at all. And she had just such blind trust in us and that we would be able to help her and fix her. One woman said, I stay at home mostly because people are too cruel to me. But she said, you know, God made me and he loves me, but he gave you the ability to fix me. This is one day they're deformed, the next day they're beautiful children. After the surgery, it hurts them to smile right now and so they're not doing a lot of smiling but they will be the swelling will go down and the sutures will dissolve on their own and so they'll look dramatically different really in about a month i certainly got probably much more out of it than each of those cleft lip patients got they got a new lip but uh, i got a new perspective on life can you hear somebody saying who today is a paralyzed person i got a new perspective on life because somebody helped me to Jesus. Mark tells us 
Verse 3, some men came bringing a paralyzed man to him, carried by four of them. Verse 4, since they could not get to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof. May I ask you to think with me for a minute, in our world today, what are some of the barriers that act like a crowd keeping people away from Jesus? How about the religious barrier? You know anybody that as you've talked to them about your journey with Jesus or about your church, they've said, yeah, uh, I did church once before when I was young, and oh, but I don't want to go back to that. Or I was dragged to church as a kid, and I, I don't want to, no, no, no. Religious barriers. You know some folks who've been wounded in the spiritual journey of life? Because they haven't come to Jesus, they've come to religion instead of Jesus. How about family barriers? Abusive families. Families who don't want anything to do with God and want to make sure that their kids don't have anything to do with God. How about self-inflicted barriers? Again, that overwhelming sense of guilt and shame, and I'm such a mess, God would never want to care about me. Or cultural barriers, like in some parts of the world, which is why we're having a persecuted church prayer time later this afternoon, where it's against the law to become a Christian in those places. Can you think of some of the barriers that might be holding some people you know away from Jesus? Since they couldn't get him through the crowd, they went up top and started pulling back <laughs> the roof. I would imagine Jesus is standing and talking and maybe sitting on stools like this of the four guys with him and a whole room full of people. And all of a sudden the dust is coming down on them and they're looking up, what's going on? Daylight pierces through. And now here comes a mat lowered down with a crippled man on it. Do you hear him maybe saying, please don't drop me, fellas. Right in front of Jesus. I wonder if the disciples nudge each other. He's not a leper, but this is deja vu. It's the same thing, isn't it? He's coming out of desperate hope and faith that Jesus is going to do something. When Jesus saw their faith, verse 5, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. Whose faith did he see? Their faith. All five of them. Four who carried the man, and a man who wouldn't let up until he convinced his guys, his friends, get me to Jesus somehow, anyhow. How big is your faith? When and where in your lifetime have you proved to yourself and your family and to God how big your faith is in the face of what might seem to be overwhelming odds? If we took the time and we invited your children and your grandchildren, we said, tell us the stories of your parents and your grandparents and how they have lived out for you outrageous faith in the face of incredible odds. What would be the stories they would tell us? It's November. That's the storytelling month, Thanksgiving, right? Build stories. Tell the stories. Write down the stories of when you've taken great faith steps. It'll become the legacy for your children. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, get up, you're healed. No, that's not what he said. Son, your sins are forgiven. And in the room, a collective gasp. <gasps> How could a man say that? No one has a right. In fact, do you see what it says? 
Verse 7, why does this fellow talk like that? It's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Right here, there's a change in Jesus' life and ministry. Up to this time, he's been doing some wonderful miracles, water to wine and crippled people and all kinds of things, teaching some great things, but right here he declares himself to be God. Forgiving sin. Like with the leper, Jesus is saying to the crippled man, even if I make you whole, you still have a sin problem. That's your bigger problem. So while, yes, I might heal your crippled legs, I want to reach inside of you and heal your broken life by forgiving you of your sin. But how does he have the right to say that? Look at verse 10. Jesus says, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sin. Wow. A clear declaration. I am the Son of God. I have come for the purpose of forgiving sin and making you whole. One of those disciples sitting there some years later would write, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus said, get up. Get up, crippled man. Pick up your mat. Go home. Can you imagine everybody, their eyes as big as donuts? What's he going to do? Stretches out his legs. Stands up for the first time, maybe in his lifetime. Rolls up that mat. I wonder if somebody said, here, I'll take the mat for you. No, don't touch my mat. That's miracle debris. That's going to stand in the corner of my house for the rest of my life. I got a story to tell. I get out of my way, and he does the crippled man raised to life strut as he walks out, right? And the four guys up top looking down, can you believe that? And the four guys sitting with Jesus, what is he going to do next? And I wonder if Jesus said, now, are you paying attention, fellas? You're going to encounter lepers, lots of them, people who have given up on themselves bring my hope and my help to them. Don't turn away from them even when everybody else does. Point them to Jesus. I'll heal them. And you're going to encounter some paralyzed folks. Folks who desperately want my help but, but can't get there. They need your help to bring them to me. It might be you have to explain truth to them to, to, to counter their doubt. It might be you have to speak hope to help them not give up on themselves but come to me. It might be you have to physically carry them. Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now in the next 60 days, if you and I lived what I've just unpacked for you, what might happen in Walworth County? Because I can pretty well guarantee every single one of us in this room, me too, we will meet some lepers maybe this week. Oh, they won't look like lepers. They might look like successful business people. Uh, they might be driving fancy sports cars, living in huge mansions, but listen carefully to the way they talk and you'll hear them using the language that's saying, I'm about ready to give up. Lepers. Point them to Jesus. 
you and I are going to meet a whole bunch of paralyzed folks. They're trying to drown their paralysis in alcohol and drugs and all kinds of things. Listen carefully. And you might hear them saying, will you help me? Will you help me with the help that you have experienced that's only available in Jesus? And what is our answer? Let's talk to Jesus about that right now. Lord Jesus Christ, would you speak into our hearts and our minds right now, each of us in this room? How do you want us to respond to the lepers and the paralytics? God, could it be that there's a leper or two or five in this room right now or, or, or listening and watching on the Internet? Somebody, oh God, who's very close to just giving up on themselves and giving up on life. Please, would you help them to know that there's no reason to give up. You, you love them with an unconditional love. You know all about them. You made them. And you're ready to step in in response to their invitation and bring healing to their broken lives. You're simply waiting for an invitation. If that's you, friend, don't wait any longer. Invite him right now to step in with this healing power into your life. God, are there some paralyzed folks among us? Paralyzed by fear or shame or guilt? Oh, God, please, would you help those folks know that they don't have to lay there like a cripple any longer? They don't have to hide the secrets any longer. You're, you're ready to, to forgive. You're ready to heal. You're ready to help. And you're ready to surround them by people who will love them in the name of Jesus. He's waiting for your call for help, friends. Lord Jesus Christ, we want to worship you now out of profound gratitude that you're the healer. In Jesus' name, I